welcome to the second episode in this podcast series from CityWire in association with Varen Capital Partners. My name is Amy Maxwell. I'm the managing editor of CityWire Engage, and I'll be your host for this series. Varen is a research and process-driven investment manager based in Paris, where it was founded by its current management team in 2003. It's a firm with deep roots in the hedge fund industry and uses its research as a foundation for managing both USITs and non-USITs funds, all of which concentrate on the firm's highest conviction ideas. Throughout the series, we'll be hearing from integral people to this boutique asset manager, as well as members of Europe's fund selection community for some tips of the trade on how to grow a business from 3 million to 3 billion. The Varen team will be sharing the highs and lows of their journey, as well as unveiling some of the work that goes into building their unique databases and delving deeper into topics such as tower risk hedging and behavioural finance. Consider it a window into the hedge fund world. So that's enough from me. Now it's time to welcome this episode's guests. Florent Bassani, a derivative specialist and member of the Taurus Hedging team at Varen. Davide Alfano, founder and managing director of Kaleidoscope Capital. And Robert Sears, chief investment officer of Capital Generation Partners. Welcome, gentlemen. Let's start by understanding a little bit more about you all. Um, Robert, if you could please introduce yourself. Thank you. Um... My name is Robert Sears. I'm Chief Investment Officer at Capital Generation Partners. Um, so we run multi-asset portfolios for families, endowments and charities. Um, so we're looking across the full spectrum of possible investments, liquid and illiquid, uh, typically with a real return target and sort of a long-term uh, investment horizon. Uh, so again, I think terrorist certainly is one component to that, but that is... Uh, what we're trying to do is think about the risk for long-term investors. Um, I set up Kaleidoscope Capital in 2014 with the idea to provide clients uh, support in uh, managing their exposure to liquid alternatives investments. So the USP of the company is to provide uh, investment solution, total return investment solution to clients with a strong focus on alternatives. Uh, this is the core I started effectively on my own with another partner and we've been scaling up the business uh, in the last few years and most uh, recently we defined a partnership with MJ Hudson Group in order to target more aggressively institutional clients. Uh, hi Amy, hi David, Robert. So my name is Florent Bersani. Um, actually, if I go just a step back, I started my career in the telecommunications industry in 2000. So that was my first experience of the telecommunications bubble. Um, and I switched with great market timing to the financial industry in 2008. Um, so another bubble there. Uh, and joined uh, Subgen uh, in Paris, trading exotic hybrid derivatives and then single stock derivatives before I moved in uh, 2013 to the buy side and uh, different uh, volatility arbitrage fund. And uh, last I joined Varen in 2016 uh, to take care of its terrorist hedging. So, Florent, yeah, let's let's talk about how, it, how this works in practice. The most important part for our use of derivatives uh, like every tool, you can misuse them. So we have a very clear rule, uh, which is that our maximum loss is known in advance and capped and fits within our tail risk hedging budget of 1.5% per annum. 
So in a way, derivatives usually get singled out, and rightfully so, because they can generate huge gains, but also huge losses if they are misused. We make sure to be only buyers of options. So we are only exposed, if you will, to the loss of our premium, which is a very specific use of derivatives. Many investors actually use derivatives to generate income with so-called carry strategies, where actually it's the reverse. Uh, They have a fixed capped payout, but they have, uh, if you will, uncapped loss. We take the other side of this trade. We spend a little bit of insurance premium to get a massive payoff in case of a blowout. So we are very clear on how we use derivatives. We don't want to protect ourselves from down 5%, 10%, which are minor corrections. Uh, If we used simpler instruments, we would have to buy the insurance for the house, the car, the boat, and, and whatever. We just want to insure the house. So we don't want the the additional belts and whistle, which would make us overpay for our protection. This is why we resort to exotics. But in a nutshell, it's insurance. So to recap, the derivatives parts for us, it's buying insurance. And the exotic part is buying only the insurance that's efficient for our investors and for our strategies. And, and these are really important nuances. And, and, and Robert and David, do you, do you feel like the investment community is, is educated enough to recognise an opportunity or to get involved in something such as this? On the exotic derivatives specifically, I think most people shouldn't be getting involved with it. So directly, you should, you should be outsourcing it. Unless you understand it, you shouldn't be going anywhere near it. I think maybe where I... Like, I completely agree on the going long volatility buying options. That's a really important difference. And at the moment in the market, most people are selling volatility, selling options to get a small bit of premium and they're exposed to huge risk. To be sure that we are able to sustain in time our insurance premium spent. Most hedges, I don't know what uh, your experience is, Davide and Robert, but most hedges actually hedge for a while with costly instruments, and then they ditch the protection usually just before the crisis happens because it was too painful to keep paying for something that's not bringing any income. And we want to avoid this. We don't believe in just in time. When I take my car in the morning, I'm not saying, well, today I'm not putting on the seatbelt because I know I won't have an accident. I put the seatbelt every time because I don't know when I will get an accident. I mean, different traders, different portfolio managers and allocators have uh, their own style. So that's important to be understood. But bottom line, I think uh, you need to maintain an open mind about because uh, you can't edge any kind of risk. Otherwise, uh, you over edge, you don't exploit uh, opportunities. And different edge strategies have different costs attached. So you have to be efficient in the way you add and selective at the same time, depending on your portfolio and also on, the, on your expectation in terms of the markets. Well, let's talk about those different environments, because obviously you, you started in, in 2008 in a, in a very, very stressed environment. We've just had a pandemic um, that was, you know, caused some significant shocks. And we've had essentially, you know, in the intervening years, lots of imbalances and, and, and a tremendous amount of unorthodox monetary policy. So um, th- this environment isn't 
benign. How paranoid should you be to, to be thinking very seriously about Taoist Kejing? Um, if you allow me to quote the late Donald Rumsfeld, he used to talk about the unknown unknowns back in 2002. I guess it's very important to have the intellectual humility to, to acknowledge that uh, we have little prediction, especially about future extreme events. So yes, in a way, you have to be paranoid, but you have to be relaxed in a, in a way because we don't pretend we will be able to say when and what will happen. So it makes sense to have protection in place. And actually, when you have your protection, you can, for our investors, it's important to sleep at night. We always try to take the broadest perspective uh, in our hedging. And although most of our performance comes from equities, we've been having hedges on forex, interest rates, credit, commodities, and we could have other asset classes as hedges as long as uh, they provide value for our portfolio construction. Okay. So, so Robert, this is this is essentially all about optimizing the risk reward profile. Um, and, and in the current climate where do you see some of the shocks coming from and, and and what would you what are you looking at to protect against i can think of lots of problems out there we can talk about sort of the problems of over amount of debt in the world how we're ever going to get through that that crisis we can think of geopolitical risk china us we can think of the encroachment of more taxation so there are plenty and climate change there are plenty of long-term risks for investors but the one that booms out to me at the moment is actually valuations across the market everything looks really expensive based on very low interest rates. So we're arguably even more sensitive to some shock happening, which we don't know what it's going to be. Uh, and yet there's positive momentum. So I think this is the ideal moment to have a hedge. And I think the, the hedges I would concentrate most on are arguably the things that are going to blow up the most in, in a potential crisis, the things that are most overvalued. Um, and while it's hard to know exactly what the crisis will be, some of the characteristics you can think about are typically in a really bad crisis, there's problems with illiquidity, uh, so uh, illiquid assets, there's problem with too much leverage, and there's flight to quality. And we sort of see the correlations all converge across assets. To summarise, for me, the two big evils are massive deflation, massive inflation, typically that can hurt a portfolio. So I think you need some hedges for deflationary bust, you need things which will do well, like say, interest rates, so buying options on bonds, things like that. Or if we're in for an inflationary bust, you know, you need more things more like commodities. So again, different types of crisis, different types of hedge. Uh, but underneath its valuation risk, I think. For us, the main new thing right now, and also potential risk, is the level of interest rates. I mean, we are living in a, in a world of negative uh, yields. And, and that's something new that people, investors, uh, never faced in the past. The reaction so far, at least, uh, the common reaction so far to this uh, new market regime has been uh, to increase the convexity of the portfolio, increase exposure to equities, increase exposure to liquid alternatives, and um, on some extent, um, um, Asset classes that can provide bigger returns, but at the same time, they do have a lot of volatility, potential volatility embedded. And then to us, I and mean, then talking with investors or prospective investors, 
we realize that this new market regime is not, is not totally clear in terms, of, in terms of potential consequences. Coming back to, to my previous point, was the solution or potential solution we, we tend to offer clients to this scenario is uh, effectively a bond-like return achieved through a smart exposure to liquid alternative investment solution. And uh, this is uh, what we are focused on. Uh, in terms of, let's say, risks that you want to add uh, starting from this consideration and this kind of uh, investment solution, uh, we certainly keep an eye to sharp unpredictable correction to, of the equity markets. So this is uh, the other main thing we, we take care of and um, together with uh, a smart exposure to liquid alternatives. I guess it is important to know that at Varen we have this specific bias or tendency to buy long-term protection, uh, which are usually a lot more efficient for mathematical reasons. You get more discounts if you're insurance, uh, if you will, if you buy it for one year, then you get the second year for 50% of the first year. So it kind of makes sense to hedge for the long term in the derivatives world. Uh, it also makes sense if you have this humility of not pretending to time the next crisis, because then you, you've got extensive protection. Instead of knowing that your house will burn down in two months, you say, well, I'll insure it for a couple of years down the road. So it's important to have those long term hedges. But to have the same power uh, for the insurance, you have to be able to fund your tear risk hedging because it's obviously a headwind. So we try and build for our investors this sustainable hedging program because, as the video mentioned, uh, if and Robert, if valuations are already too high and there's not much juice left and they stay here, then, of course, when market is up 20% in the equity market, nobody cares a lot about spending 1%. But then if suddenly the performances of the equity markets get lower, then the drag of the insurance get higher. And that's usually when you want to get rid of your insurance. But it's usually also the late time in the cycle when the bubble pricks and explodes. So long duration hedges, long, long, I mean, long maturity hedges and having a uh, uh, funding strategy are two key parts for us. And again, inflation, deflation, other types of risks, wherever our goal and our purpose is to have this kind of uh, protection for all times. You're looking at every single scenario. You're not betting on, on one scenario happening. This is a you know, long-term affordable hedging taken pretty seriously all year round. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think if we go back to history books, I'm an engineer by training, but as time goes by, I get, I read more history and we can go back to, you know, to John Law uh, in France and the first banking system we experienced, which ended up in a blow up. Sir Isaac Newton and the South Sea bubble. We can go back to the Japanese in the 1990s and uh, the real estate uh, bubble there. I guess it's very instructive to see that there is something constant, with, which, are, uh, which is the human psychology. Uh, but apart from that, everything kind of changes. But behind it, greed and fear, the basic emotions, it's never different.
Can you tell me a little bit about the the 2020 experience of a, a pandemic? Because I don't imagine many people were were prepared for a global pandemic. And uh, how was your portfolio positioned? So back in 2020, uh, I was visiting Japan uh, on a roadshow for our investors there. And market, equity markets were at the highs. It was February uh, 2020. And volatility and correlations were very cheap. Uh, and I actually ended up buying more hedges in Tokyo while we were making this presentation to the investors. So it, it, you could say it was lucky in a way to, to keep ramping up our protections uh, before the crisis, but it's more actually the process of being disciplined. We like to buy protection when it's cheap. So 2020 was a good time for this because the cost of the hedges were very low going into the crisis. Of course, what has been different is the way the crisis unfolded between, let's say, March and June. And what was then the hard part was having the discipline to keep the protections. So we had to find ways to keep buying insurance during the crisis and even during the first recovery phase when now insurance premium were very expensive. So it was, you know, money well spent because we were able to be fully invested, uh, even a little more than 100% invested uh, during the recovery. And, and Robert, do you have any lessons from your experience of, of 2020? Yeah, so I think in a similar similar vein, actually, we, we for the last few years, and it's not, we, we've started adding more um, tail risk protection given the level of valuation. So our approach is not to have it the whole time, but actually we're specifically ramping it up, not because we know the time, but because of valuations, the chance of something bad happening in the coming years is higher. So that's sort of the context. Didn't foresee COVID, but having those protections in place gives you the flexibility, actually. The portfolios are not down as much. But I think more importantly, because it's often forgotten with the cost. The cost isn't just to say we're spending 1.5% each year. Actually, it gives you that opportunity to make money in a time of crisis. So the lesson really was because the portfolios are not down much during the sort of March, April time, we were actually able to buy more um, equities at that time because it gave us the confidence we were protected against a further drop. We could uh, go out and invest. So when, when you look at it that way, actually, the hedges can make you money by enabling you to take advantage uh, in, a, in a time when, when things are cheap and, and it, it's a good time to be investing. So um, I think that, that was the lesson of March. I think my, my cautionary tale perhaps is, you know, it could have gone a lot worse had there not been so much policy. So again, for a lot of investors that weren't hedged, they think we've made the money back, it's great. Um, it only lasts a short period of time. But as we know, the future is is uh, lots of paths. What happened is just one. And, and where we are today with valuations, the next time the crisis might be even worse. So I think it's hopefully the people that um, didn't have protection and sort of got away with it will, will think a bit more seriously about where we are for the years ahead. Well, absolutely, very briefly. I think um, 2020 was a complicated year, psychologically in particular for everyone. But in the end, also in February, March, the correction was tough, but it could be worse. In terms of lessons, uh, I would say, um, yeah, more attention to extreme tail, tail events. This is something was not embedded in our portfolio construction, and I think going forward we will, uh, well, we got the flexibility to do so. 
we will pay more attention about uh, correction above 20-25% of equity markets. Okay, gentlemen, I think that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much for joining us. And Florent, thank you for your expertise in, in uh, explaining what, what can often be quite a complex um, subject. Mm -hmm.